to your hand on a copy of God's Word. I'm so excited and uh, for this opportunity um, to really in some ways just be trained to be faithful to what God has called us to. Um, my name is Brian. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. And uh, who's ready for today? You guys ready? Okay, okay. Um, we're taking aim. That's what we've been going after in this series um, on a large scale. Uh, specifically, we've a walk through drawing near to Christ and then knowing the work of Christ, becoming like Christ, and then living for Christ. And right now we're right in the become like Christ and we are uh, dealing with the, uh, the issue of our own sin and flesh, which uh, no one loves, okay? And uh, we're gonna, we're gonna, but we have to walk through that to get to the, all the, the beautiful things that God wants to do in and through our lives. Um, but the thing that we want is we want the transformation that the Holy Spirit wants to bring, amen? Not the transformation that we uh, get in our own strength or power. Uh, we uh, saw last week uh, that the reality of our sinful flesh is real and uh, the flesh is the, is the seat of sin and rebellion against God and uh, but we're so thankful and praise God, amen, for, for the reality that transformation is possible because of what Christ has done. And uh, we talked about this last week. The goal is not the elimination of sin. The goal is not to draw sin out and go, sin is bad, don't sin. It's the goal is transformation into the likeness of Christ. That's what compels our hearts. That's the opportunity that the gospel opens the door for and, uh, but this process and, and this work of sanctification, like that's a war. We talked about that last week. Um, a war between the flesh and the spirit, as we discussed, but we're called to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. So last week, we stirred up zeal to crucify our flesh, and then I just left you guys hanging. It was just, it was so mean. And um, if you didn't listen to the message last week, after you hear this message, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. Um, you need both parts. Today is really part two to that first one. And today we're talking about the biblical process for a killing sin. Um, what we're doing today is going to be different than what we do most weeks. Um, we're going to be looking at a lot of different scriptures highlighted through a process that our team has worked together uh, to produce, to encourage you. As you came in, you should have gotten this little um, guide to uh, mortification of sin guide. Um, if you didn't re receive that as you came in, uh, please raise your hand. You're going to need it as we walk through this. Just raise your hand high and someone will put a copy in your hands. And, um, and so, listen, this process <clears throat> that, that's outlined that we're going to walk through it's a guide, not for a day, okay? I want you to hear, one of the things that uh, this week sort of introduces in many churches is uh, what's kind of traditionally known as the Lent season. Anyone heard that word before, the Lent season? And Lent is a tradition in different churches. Um, uh, some and most commonly, it is a time to sort of focus back on God in the sort of 40 days leading up to Good Friday and Easter, to prepare our hearts to celebrate rightly. And uh, about six years ago, honestly, at the very beginning of our church, we started um, incorporating a Lent season where this service, six weeks before a Good Friday and Easter, we um, taught, we teach on a practice that helps us focus on God. Like we've talked about fasting in the past, we've talked about silence and solitude and the different aspects of evaluation and prayer. 
And when we started to plan for this year, we looked at the, the way the preaching calendar was lining up and we went, we're right in the middle of becoming like Christ. And we started a conversation and said, you know what, there's this idea that we want to communicate in richness of the mortification of sin. And so there you've got in front of you the mortification of sin guide. This is a guide, not for you to complete in one day, okay? You don't get it. The first person done does not get an A, okay? First person done gets an F. The process is the beautiful part of it. And I want you to embrace that, engage that, and we're going to actually walk through that guide because I want to kind of this morning coach you through it, to use it, for to, to walk you and guide you to the victory that Christ wants to bring in your life. But this whole entire guide was built around Romans 8.13. If you've got your Bibles, open up there. I'm going to read actually Romans 8.12 through 14. Follow along one of, the, one of the most compact chapters of goodness in the entire Bible. I've said this in the past. You could squeeze different chapters in the Bible. You're always going to get juice, not always the same amount. If you get like a little drop from some chapter in Leviticus, Romans 8, you're going to be like filling up the cup to overflowing and probably have to get extra cups. And so here we go, one section of it. It's going to encourage us this morning and frame up our conversation. Romans 8, starting in verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, certainly included there, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That's not great news. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. That is is what we're chasing after. And if that's the case then, we have to, as the big move says this morning, we have to address, you have to address your sinful flesh with lethal determination. That's the big move. Let's turn there up on the notes um, and get that on the screen for everybody. Address your sinful flesh with lethal determination. We gotta go after this with zeal. And so we're gonna walk through this, uh, this booklet and I just want you guys to see the pieces of it and I wanna walk through it carefully because everything about this unpacks this idea of mortifying a sin, putting it to death. First off, I wanna give honor where honor is due. One, um, there is one of the most helpful a books that I've read on the subject of putting sin to death was actually uh, titled Mortification of Sin by John Owen. He's a Puritan and uh, uh, lived back in like the 17th century and wrote a lot of amazing things about putting sin to death. And um, the, so a number of the parts of this booklet were adapted from his work and we tried to make it and put it in a form that would be helpful for you. Second, I want you to know on our staff team, um, this... this uh, this does not happen alone, okay? Putting this together, I'm so thankful for it, but Lauren Shear on our staff, she went above and beyond to put this together. Um, it is a, really a fruit of her giftedness, and I'm so thankful for her and everybody who worked on this. I hope it's a blessing to you guys. And so if we want to live this out, verse 13, we've got to, as the very front of this guide says, you need to be killing sin or it will be killing you. That's, that's the first thing we've got to see. You've got to be killing sin or sin will be killing you. 
There's no neutrality in, 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 in and around sin and your flesh. And so if you open it up, you'll see immediately Romans 8, 13 there, sort of as the sort of beginning sort of a, a view and vision for this is we want this to come alive in your life. We want Romans 8, 13 to come alive in your life. And so how is that gonna happen? Um, so let's walk through this. You got the contents there. Turn over to the problem. And let's start there. The problem is uh, a section that's just highlighting the reality of sin. There's a few things that are noted in that. One, Jeremiah 17 talks about, is highlighted because Jeremiah 17 talks about the deceitfulness of your heart. How many of you have found that when you follow your heart, it tends not to end well? Anybody? Like, I don't know about you, but like, it literally says there, Jeremiah is like, the heart, it's deceitful and wicked above all things. Uh, where my heart goes is not where I should go. Not in the context of the kingdom of God. In the world, yes, not in the kingdom. Then James 1 is another passage that you can highlight from this section. And James 1 basically, in James 1 it says, sin will first entice you and draw you towards it. It'll promise you all sorts of amazing things. But it always, if sin is given full reign, imagine sin on a hook. It's a worm on a hook and you're a fish and you're like, that's delicious. I want that. But the hook means it will always lead to death. And so we've got this problem with sin. And so what I want you to do from the very beginning, because we're, we're going to walk through this actively, I want you to participate um, to, to get the most out of this. At the bottom of that, it says, so is this true of your life? Your answer should be yes, if you're actually looking at your sin and seeing it rightfully. And that's a work of the Holy Spirit, honestly. And I want you to write something down. Maybe, maybe one or two things that you're just like, this is what I'm struggling with. And to help you maybe think about some things that would be in that category, I was helped by Robert Mulholland's. Um, he, he gives this like layers of sin in our lives. And so let's look at that on the screen. Uh, here, here's just sort of different types of things that you could write down. One is obvious sins. Obvious sins are things that even in the world today, they're like, yeah, that's not great. The sort of things that there's laws to prevent and, and, and yeah, there's certainly some people in our world that even want to do away with those realities, but obvious sins are things like lying and stealing and, and cheating and, and, and murder and, and these sort of like very high level things that everybody goes, ew. Second is acceptable sins. These are things that in the world is like, yeah, go do it. Go, go, go chase the more money even though it's really greed. Go... Go, um, go lust after that person and, and that should be encouraged and you should do whatever you feel like you want to do. Like those things that are acceptable in our world but not in the kingdom of God because God has something so much better for us. The next level when we start to mine our hearts and the spirit starts to bring conviction is now unconscious sins and omissions. Unconscious sins are things that we weren't even aware were wrong in the context of the kingdom of God and then we become convicted by them. I was just unconsciously sort of operating in that way and believing that that was okay. Now, omissions are things that I know I should be doing that I'm not doing. So if I'm like, I should be pursuing God and instead I'm pursuing something else with my time, that's an omission. 
The thing I might be doing isn't necessarily sinful at all, but I'm not doing what God wants me to do. That's an omission. And then the deep level, which is where God wants to get through the work of his spirit, is deep-seated attitudes and inner orientations. This is like, like a struggle with, I put my walls up because of how I was hurt in the past, and I'm not going to love people, and I'm just sort of in this sort of defensive posture because of how I was hurt in the past. And God doesn't want me to stay there. God wants to bring all those walls down. God wants to bring healing of the past so that the walls can come down so I can rightly love as God's called me to. But there's an inner deep-seated attitude. Some of you are just critical. I don't want to justify my criticality. I want God to change me. I don't just want to be like, well, I just run hot so I'm angry. I want God to bring peace and gentleness to my heart. And so we want to work through these things. And so there's no shame. There's no shame at this point. Whatever you're writing down, here's the great news of the gospel. God has given us the power to start putting it to death. It doesn't have to win anymore. You could start putting it to death. And it might take a long time. And it's a process in different situations. Particularly when we get to the deep layers of our soul and our heart. But the gospel promises healing partially in this life and fully in the next. Amen? And so that, that, that causes us to have a zeal to want to go after this. So if you flip to the next page, the plan, I want you to read this definition of mortification, the first sort of part of the plan. Look what it says. Mortification is the theological term used to describe the call for those who are united to Christ, living in the power of the Spirit, to put to death mortify, lingering sinful desires that arise from within, from within your own heart and flesh, and resist temptations that surface from the outside. So this is ultimately a foundational element to sanctification. If you look, and uh, next week Pastor Jeremy's teaching, and in a future weeks we're going to unpack this, we're now in a process of putting off and putting on. But you can't put on new until you've put off old. You, you, you can't become new in Christ until you've dealt with the old man. And so, so we, we have to walk through this part necessarily, but watch in relationship with God, not to earn relationship with God, okay? We talked about this distinction last week. We're, we give effort because we want to be transformed in the likeness of God. Our faith is the, is the doorway to that, but we're not doing it to earn favor. We're doing it while in the favor of God. So look, first, prerequisites. You must be a believer. You must be a believer. You've seen it just like I have. There are people that do not have true saving faith in Christ. They have simply, by their own strength of their will, they do right Christian things and actions. But they know that it's only surface. They know that their heart is not, has not been transformed. And there's a fakeness and an artificiality that we see it's why sometimes people notice people at church and they're like, man, they seem to be full in. But I've seen them in some other context. Don't seem to be full in. Seems like they're living two lives. That's not a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. First of all, we have to be a believer because if there's, no, if there's not a spirit of God working in us, 
There's no mortification. There's no ability to kill sin. Second, it must be an act of faith. Sin, you do not have the power to put sin to death. Sometimes I think people are like, I want this out of my life. And they're like, focused, focused, focused on the sin. And they're like, why do I keep sinning? Um, because you're, you're not moving towards faith. Like, like, you're just compelled by the sin and the consequences. Do you actually see it rightfully? We cannot kill sin in our own strength. The power is in God. Any little bit of victory comes from the work of God. Have you ever had something where you're like, where you're like, um, I, I'm, I'm believing on God, I'm walking rightly in this, and I'm finding victory, and then you get confidence? Not in, at first in God, and then it suddenly kind of transitions to self-confidence, and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm good. I got this. And you take one step, and boom, and you're like, oh, oh, in my own strength, in my own strength. Some of you know you've had, you've had conversations where, hard conversations, navigating conflict sort of conversations, and the words are coming out of your mouth, controlled by the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, controlled, I got this, next word, next sentence, you're like, oh no, oh no, this is good, now this became a longer conversation, y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of you were like, too soon, you're like, that happened last night in a conversation, or this morning, we want to stay in a place, in a posture, faith, Asking the Spirit of God, yielding to the Spirit of God, surrendering. It must be an act of faith. So, as you begin, look to the next page. This is so good. I'm so thankful for this. First off, we've got to pause. We've got to pause. When I'm crucifying the flesh, I need to see in front of me most more clearly than anything else the beauty and the grandeur and the awesomeness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have to see Jesus. So we have to pause. It says that when we behold the glory of Christ, that's when we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. It starts by beholding. Skipping the beholding will lead to defeat and frustration. The beholding is so key. And so then, you know, I'm so thankful. Uh, Pastor Chris put together a Killing Sin Spotify playlist. I don't know about you guys. When I heard that, I immediately thought of a certain type of music. I was like, is this going to be like heavy metal, like really loud and angry and dark? It's not. It's worship music. And, uh, but just when I hear a Killing Sin playlist, I immediately am just like hearing electric guitar. Anybody with me? And so um, maybe that can be the alternative Killing Sin playlist for some of us, but um, I want you to notice that then there's a guided prayer. And this sets the posture for our approach to sin. And so right now with maybe something in front of you that God's convicting you about, and the problem understood, I'm, I'm resting in my relationship with God, I wanna act by faith. Would you just bow your heads with me and I'm gonna pray this prayer over us before we begin. We're practicing this together. Lord Jesus, I sin. Grant that I may never cease grieving because of it. Never be content with myself. Never think I can reach a point of perfection. Kill my envy. Command my tongue. Trample down self. Give me grace to be holy and kind and gentle and pure and peaceable. 
to live for you and not for self, to copy your words, acts, spirit, to be transformed into your likeness, to be consecrated wholly to you, to live entirely for your glory. Deliver me from attachment to things unclean, from wrong associations, from the predominance of evil passions, from the sugar of sin as well as its gall, that with self-loathing, deep contrition, earnest heart, searching, I may come to, to you, cast myself on you, trust in you, cry to you, be delivered by you. Oh God, the eternal all, help me to know that all things are shadows, but you are substance. All things are quicksands, but you are mountain. All things are shifting, but you are anchor. All things are ignorance, but you are wisdom. If my life is to be a crucible amid burning heat, so be it. But you sit at the furnace mouth to watch the ore that nothing be lost. If I sin willfully, grievously, tormentedly, in grace take away my mourning and give me music. Remove my sackcloth and clothe me with beauty. Still my sighs and fill my mouth with song. Then give me summer weather as a Christian. Amen. Amen. And that, that is it. That is, the, that is the marrying together of the goodness of the gospel with the seriousness about sin. And when you get to that place, God is doing an unbelievable, miraculous, supernatural work in your life. And so, what's the process? Because if I pray that sort of prayer, I am ready to go. So let's talk about the process. I'm going to move pretty quickly here through these nine instructions. This is, this is the process. It's not overnight. It's not overnight. It is a war with many battles. It is a marathon, not a sprint. The mindset, though, is the key. And this beginning process is getting our mind right about sin. Okay, so again, within the context of the gospel, we are justified through Christ's death. We have good relationship, right relationship with God because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, but we are a people that have now been empowered and equipped to address sin, so let's walk in it. Here we go, first one. Diagnose sin's severity. Sin's severity. We need to see our unholiness in light of God's holiness. It needs to do a number on our hearts and our minds. We've gotta be careful to not too quickly apply grace and mercy hear me in this, like, uh, we, we don't want superficial change. We want deep change, and so we've got to diagnose sin severity. Be honest here. Like, process carefully. Second, grasp sin's serious consequences. Like, look at your life in places where sin has pervaded. There can be deceitfulness that, that leads you away from the joy of God. It can steal so much from you in and around who God is. Your sin grieves the Holy Spirit. I don't want the Holy Spirit grieved. I want the Holy Spirit happy and talking to me. I don't want him grieving and quiet because of my sin. So be sober-minded and stand in faith and have a zeal to stay near to God. That's the second one. Grasp sin's serious consequences. We're not going to read through all of this but I'd encourage you to over time during this Lent season and beyond. Three, be convinced of your guilt. Have you ever been around, have you ever had a conversation with someone when they're, when they're dealing with their sin between you and they're sort of like, they're explaining their sin and what they've done and they're sort of like, well, you know, like, 
I, I really kind of just had a bad day and, you know, I really wasn't feeling really good and, and you know, and, and so I was worn down and just feeling so much and then, like, you weren't really nice to me last night and that's why I snapped and lost it with you, right? Like, like helpful or kind of cheap? Cheap, right? It, it's totally different when someone comes to you and goes, listen, I was wrong. I am so sorry for the way I said that to you. That was not right. I love you more than that. You deserve more than that. I will take the responsibility to deal with the things that I need to clearly need to deal with to make this right. How, how awesome is that? That's so different. Be convinced of your guilt. Just come honestly and authentically before God. Um, hey, the, the, the person you talk to on the horizontal, they don't know it all. Like, God does. Just come clean. See your sin as an issue between you and God. There's some perspective you don't have of God. Ask for a clear vision of Christ's sacrifice to create a gratitude in you, but be convinced of your guilt. Four, earnestly desire deliverance. If you know the gospel, this is what we stirred up last week. We just stirred it up. The gospel offers deliverance. And, and when you taste that change and transformation, like I wrote down at the beginning of mine, I wrote down, um, if I was to write down sort of a deep-seated thing that God's working, it's working me over in regards to its anxiety. It's that there's, there's a lot of things that I look at and I can get stirred up in my flesh and become anxious and worried and critical and doubting and all sorts of things associated with it, steal joy from me. And, uh, and I want deliverance. I want deliverance. And the good news of the gospel is that God has already begun that work in me and I already have tasted it. And I want you to long for it and pray for it. I want you to thank God that it's possible through Christ's work, amen? And evaluate your longing for deliverance. And, and pray for it, plead for it. Ask the power of the Spirit to bring it to your life. Earnestly desire deliverance. Five, consider the relationship between your sins and your natural temperament. Okay, now it starts getting really convicting. Because there is a way, because of sin and, it's, and the way it impacts our life, is it's not just that there's actions that, that we could pursue because of sin. We also have a natural bent. That's why I can't say, well, I just run hot. I care about things more. It's not really an anger issue. I have to go, no, 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 no. I'm bent that way, but that's not what God wants to do. God wants to straighten out all things that are bent if you will surrender it to him. And so I want to consider that relationship. What I would encourage you to pray for is self-awareness. Self-awareness. What, what has happened to you in your past? Some of you are just, I was like, literally born with a bent to rebel. Trust me, your parents know. And, um, and, and, and so, but sometimes there's things that have happened to you that create a tendency. <clears throat> I know people who have been hurt by people in past relationships and they're like, it's hard to love. I'm good with that confession. God is not okay if you're like, I'm not loving anymore. I'm not gonna give my heart. I'm never gonna trust anybody again. That's the opposite of what God would want for you. But if it's hard, that's awareness. What is your sinful bent? Ask for wisdom from God. Promise, he'll give it. Um, next, number six, avoid occasions that incite sin. 
Simply this, I not only want in the work of the gospel and your involvement in this church and in in gospel community, I don't just want you to be more self-aware of your own sin and brokenness. I want you to be situationally aware. This, This means that, you know, I know that going back to the, you know, the words that come out of your mouth that suddenly you wish you hadn't said something, I know that if I'm trying to navigate a conflict and it's like after 9 p.m. at night, like there's a hole in that road. Anybody with me? Like I've heard someone say that in a message. Like there's a hole in that road. Like I could try as hard as I can. I can drive that car carefully down that road, but it's going in the hole. So like wisdom says, okay, we probably shouldn't navigate this now. Are we good? Okay, we're good. Let's navigate that another time and then plan a time to navigate the conflict. There, there are certain things. It's, it's like the reality that someone who struggles with alcohol should not frequent a bar. Sort of like situational awareness. It's not my best spot. Avoid occasions and incite sin. We're dealing with sin seriously here. Seven, address sin's first signs. Here, I just want you to be ready. That's the encouragement of this point. Just be ready for sin. When you see the, the temptation begin to even form, you're like, okay, different response. Not like, and the move should not be, well, well okay, I'm going to fight this. And you sort of start to, start to like, you're, like you're going into like, a, like some sort of fist fight. Instead, I think your best move is to fall to your knees. And go, God, I, I can't, I can't, I can't on my own. I can't on my own. And never get to a place where we believe any different. I can't on my own. To move to prayer when we've rightly understood sin and our victory in it, we rightly understand in the community of God, we actually encourage one another. We go, hey, here's my struggle. Would you pray for me in this? And the most profound reality that I've found is, 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 that, is this line, and I would encourage you to write it down. Confess in temptation, not after failure. Learn to confess in temptation, not after failure. Learn to confess when you know you might be moving towards something that's difficult, not in the, in the, right in the middle of the failure, when the, when the war is the hottest. Strategize ahead of time. Ask for the support of God and God's people before. Confess in temptation, not after failure. Eight, meditate on God's glory. This is just begin to worship. When, when I understand sin and I rightly see it and the ugliness of it and the ways it pervades in my life, I, I want to get my eyes not on sin, I want to get my eyes on God's glory. And so the end of that section has these awesome passages that you can study later. I would say this, most importantly, where worship increases, sin decreases. Where worship increases, sin decreases. Where my delight in the person of Jesus Christ is at its hottest, sin is its coldest. Where I begin to worship other things, sin follows with it. That's called idolatry. It's the most pervasive understanding of sin at a fundamental level in all of Scripture. So my question is, what are you listening to? What are you looking at? What are you thinking about? What are you meditating on? When my mind is on Scripture and the glory of God, sin is far from me. I have to turn that off and turn towards sin for it to be tempting. I have to linger and think and process about some sort of pleasure or delight I might get in sin for it to take me. When my eyes are on the glory of God, 
The temptation of sin is lessened. And then finally, number nine, don't rush to comfort yourself. The problem in our culture is that we rush discipline and we forget that sin is deceitful. If you think that you're going to get to a point this side of heaven, um, there is a point that uh, Jesus uh, promises where he's going to crush the head of Satan. Anybody excited for that moment? I am so excited for that moment. And then that reality, but in this, in this life, when you begin to put sin down and put Christ up, the enemy comes against you and you become a target. And so the reality of that is, is that we, we don't want to comfort ourselves too quickly and be like, well, I've arrived. Because the people who arrive very quickly, people will see that they have not. And uh, that's called humility or being humbled. We need to stay in the grace of God. Stay in the grace of God. Stay in a posture of humility. It's long and deep, the, 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 the work that God has for you and the purification that he wants to bring to your life. And some of you are only thinking about sin as actions, but I think that the most glorious part of transformation for those who have been trained by it, and some of you know this, I see it on your face every week. You're just like, God, go deeper, go deeper, go deeper, because it's in the roots get removed that you're like, oh my goodness. There's a peace and a joy that settles over your heart. There's a contentment and an outlook on life that begins to be transformed because now the change is happening from the inside out. I'm no longer trying to change from the outside in, right? And everything changes there. Move in the Spirit's power by God's grace in his presence to be fully cleansed. Fully cleansed. Okay. Now we have a right perspective on sin. That's the process. Now the killing. Five more things, and then we're going to uh, respond. First, in this section that's titled The Killing, I want you to look at the second paragraph there. I want to read this in full because it's so important. There is no death of sin without the death of Christ. In our fight to mortify the flesh, we can attempt measures of self-control, but sin does not die apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. Sin is a bloody business. And Jesus' blood has made the perfect sacrifice for its remission. We mortify our flesh when we remember his sacrifice. Remember. Remember what he's done. Take hold of it by faith. We can't go, I, I want to I I form the fruits of the Spirit in my life. I'm going I'm to do that. <clears throat> it's only possible because of what Christ has done on the cross. So, the five parts of the killing. We've got sin, we've identified it. Now let's start to put it to death. First, confess your sin. First John 1, 9, look at what it says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And then it ends right there. No, it does not. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't... Christ is already in his death on the cross fully, fully uh, uh, bought our forgiveness and our rightness. When I confess my sins, what I'm doing is I'm taking that reality of what Christ has done and I'm bringing it exactly to the thing I'm wrestling with. But I'm not just getting right with God. I'm not just turning back to restore my right, good, present relationship with God. I'm also going, cleanse me and continue that cleansing process. 
let it just keep going deeper and deeper. That's what I was referring to earlier. We start by confessing our sin, but not just for forgiveness, for cleansing. Second, make no provision for the flesh. Romans 13, 14, it says no provision. If you've rightly seen sin and its intricacies and its complexities and the consequences and the, the damage that it does to your life, there should be what rises up within you is a faith and a vigilance that says a no provision. Can I just have a little bit of provision? No provision. Because you're just done at this point. You've confessed your sin. You've seen how dirty the reality of sin has made you and you're just like, man, I don't want to make any provision for the flesh. Thirdly, fix your heart on Christ and walk by the Spirit. I love this, that right at the center of this is like affirming again your relationship with God. This is, I I think sometimes we've understood this battle of sin as something that God, this is the way so many churches portray it, and such a false gospel. It's like, sin is bad, turn from sin. Come on, turn from sin. And they just rail on sin and how bad the world is and sin is bad, don't do it. You need to do these, you need to do these right things, do them. And you're sitting there going, uh, hard? Yeah, it's hard because they're, they're not talking about doing it within the power and the goodness and the love and the nurture and the beauty of your relationship with Christ. And here, so important is to fix your heart on Christ and walk by the Spirit. Draw near to Christ. Set your mind on things that are above. Instead of getting red-faced about sin, we should be energized by the glory and the beauty and the power of Jesus in the gospel and what he has won us through his death and his resurrection. It's good news, church. Then four, because of that, I now I'm going to meditate on God's word. I want to know everything that God has to say to me. Look at Psalm 119.11, quoted right in that little passage, uh, that little explanation. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Some of you this morning need to memorize that verse right there. Because my motivation for reading God's word is not so I can check something off a list. Honestly, if, if I told you that I read through the entire Bible in the last year, that should not impress you, not one bit. Because if I'm reading through the Bible in a, in a year, but it's not, it's not keeping me from sin, it's not transforming my life, then you should say to me, I, God has so much more for you. God has so much more for you. The nature of the word, as we talked about last week, is that it's living and active. Like, it wants to pierce to the very center of our hearts. It wants to show us and help us discern the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's supposed to both sweetly guide us and pierce us. How many have been pierced by the word in the last week? Raise your hand. Like, like pierced, like, oof. God, would you transform me in that area? And then five, if we've been pierced, we've got to move to this last one, be constant in prayer. This week, Colin, our student ministry director, he sent me this quote by J.C. Ryle. Look at this on the screen. 
Praying and sinning will never live together in the same heart. Prayer will consume sin or sin will choke prayer. Oh, man. Here's, here's the crazy part. So, so watch this connection. So the, the passage about the, the, the Bible being, the Word of God being living and active and, and piercing us, uh, that's in, um, in Hebrews 4.12. Then later on in Hebrews 4.16 is another verse that's familiar to many. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What's the need? The need is that I've been pierced. The need is that I've been convicted of my sin and my brokenness and what God's calling for my life is by his word. But sometimes we've believed that I've got to sort of earn my way into the throne of grace. And and so what God is saying is right at the moment that you've been pierced by the word, the move then is to come in to the throne of grace and receive mercy and and grace to help in time of need. Because God doesn't just give you wisdom, he gives you his life. He doesn't just say go and do, he walks with you to empower you to do the things that he calls you to do. And so if we get convicted by the word, we're like, yes, I'm going after it, you're gonna find yourself in a time of need. And God's outlined this for us so clearly It caused me to write this down, this lesson that I'm learning increasingly more. The pain of the piercing work of God's word should lead to fervent prayer. To be constant in prayer. And so, with my things that I'm carrying that bring need to my life, I don't know what yours is, I, I know what mine is. And I was just talking about anxiety earlier and when I want to rightly deal with that, I'm not going to wallow in guilt because of the reality that that's sometimes the way my heart goes. But because Jesus has given me victory and, and he loves me right in the midst of the transformation project that he's playing out in and through my life. So the first thing I do when I'm dealing with my sin is I just confess it to him. And then I don't want to make any provision for the flesh. I'm not going to excuse it or, or, or try to defend it or lessen the weight of it. And then I'm going to fix my heart on Christ and on the power of the Spirit. And I'm going to go, God, I need you to move. I need you to guide me. And I draw near to God and I'm reminded of the work of Christ. And then I begin to meditate on God's word in places where it teaches me to not be anxious, but in prayer and supplication to present my request before God. And now God's leading me and guiding me. He's teaching me to think on things that are not of anxiety. He reminds me of passages like I have up in my office, Psalm 112.7. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. And I'm like, God, create that in me. And I stay in that posture. When I stay in that posture, there, there are battles where I don't win. But I keep battling. Because there are moments when I do. There are moments when it's not me winning, but it's Christ winning in me because he's winning me over to him. And I delight in him and the transformation work brings such great joy and peace. 
that I'm like, I will sacrifice anything for more of that. And so, I don't know what it is for you, but I want to give you an opportunity to begin this morning. And the first part is confessing your sin. And so I just want to make available for some of you, I want to encourage you just to begin to to pray and confess your sin to God, to ask him to forgive you, to, to operate in the forgiveness that Christ has already bought you on the cross and to ask for him to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And I want to encourage you, maybe some of you are going to be compelled and I'm going to invite you to come and you can just kneel and begin to confess your sin. We're just going to take a few moments right now, a few minutes, and just process and confess our sin. So if God would so lead you in sort of bold move of faith just to say, I'm laying this before the Lord, you can come forward anywhere along the front and just kneel. You can kneel where you're at. You can bow your heads and pray. But listen, in the spiritual realm, this time right now is a time for us in the power of God through the work of the gospel to start bringing the hammer down on our sin so that we can walk into the goodness of what God has for us. Begin to pray now. The front is open if you want to kneel. Let's seek the Lord for a few minutes.